something that is absolutely true, emphatic, something that you don't hear preached about much, a message that I preached a few times in my life and within myself, I said, I'll never preach it again. So now another this uh, past week, God dealt with me strongly that I should uh, approach this uh, subject again in fear of God. And uh, let us look to God and ask God's blessing upon his word. Praise God. Precious Lord, precious Lord, precious Lord, precious Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Father, we need thee, dear God, we need thee so much. Hallelujah, Lord, I praise you, I praise you, I praise you, I praise you. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Bless everyone that is here tonight. May the grace of God, may the love of God, the mercy of the Lord rest upon each one. In Jesus' name. Oh, Father, we look to thee. We trust thee, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. <clears throat> Praise God. I invite your attention tonight to the fifth chapter of Matthew, verses uh, 27 through the 31st. I would like for you to feel tonight that I'm attempting to be, and I absolutely am, very uh, uh, honest in what I shall preach on. It's not an attempt to be uh, uh, a showman tonight or to grandize anything. This is uh, a very horrible truth that uh, we will speak about, and I speak with fear and with trembling. And even as I talk to you right now, I and trembling. I believe what I will preach about, and because I believe what I will preach about, there will be no sleep for me tonight, and uh, I will be very distraught when I leave this place, because what I preach about tonight is true, and because it is true, it's horrible. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 27. You have heard that it had been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman or lust after her had committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is possible for thee that none of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. My subject for this night is uh, your first night in hell. This. Uh, Perhaps had its beginning with me quite a few years ago. I was at a hotel in Beaumont, Texas, to meet a man. A man was late for the appointment. I waited in the lobby for him. I cast about something to read to entertain myself. I looked at uh, an advertisement, a little colorful brochure that was near. It caught my eye. I simply read from that uh, brochure, Your First Night in Paris, France. It was a a clever concoction publicity 
it was assuming the fact that you, you would go to Paris and it would be telling you what you would see your first night in Paris, France. The first thought that came to me was, I'll never see Paris, France. I'll never go overseas, so this was no uh, interest to me, and so I laid the pamphlet aside. Then I remembered the previous year, year 1957. Sister Ross uh, went with uh, White and myself. We went to Canada. We stopped by Niagara Falls, and as we leaned on the rail and saw that tremendous thundering cataract of water cascading over the precipice there, Sister Ross said, uh, you know, J.T. said, I uh, wondered all of my life about Niagara Falls, read about it, but I never thought that I'd get to see it. And here we are, she said, and I, I'm looking at the falls. So I thought to myself, I may see Paris, France, someday. I, sometimes you do things that uh, you have not anticipated doing. So I picked up the uh, pamphlet again, and I read it about some of the things that a, par a person could uh, observe their first night in Paris, France. There might not be very many of us here tonight that would go to Paris, France, and be in Paris, France, but I can tell you emphatically upon the truth that is in God's Word tonight, that there is infinitely more likelihood that a sizable portion of the people that I'm preaching to tonight will go to hell than more likely that you will rather than to go to Paris, France. And I hope to prove that by the word of the Lord tonight. There is absolutely three things that's going to happen to everybody that is sitting here in this congregation tonight. Number one, if Jesus tarries, you will die. Number two, you will face the judgment. And number three, if you die out of Christ, you will sink into hell. And that is according to the plain teaching, emphatic truth of God's word. I believe tonight in a hell, not because I want to. There was a time in my life that I might have been inclined because of a personal uh, concept to, to have believed in such more than tonight, but God changed me around. I don't like to see anybody hurt, and if I can help it, I will never be unkind to anyone. I don't uh, like the thought of hell, but I believe in it. I believe in it not because that the Bible school that I went to taught the, that there was a hell. I believe that there is a hell not because the group of people that I am associated with uh, teaches that there is a hell. I believe in a hell tonight simply because God's Word teaches it. I'm aware of the fact that people can get some things wrong and that certain things can be propounded year unto year and they can be wrong. But I know also that the Word of God is absolutely true. I know that there is a, a place that is called hell. In fact, for every one time that this Bible that lies open before me tonight speaks of heaven, it speaks of ten times of hell. There is ten times more in the Bible about hell than there is about heaven. And people talk about hell a thousand times more than they talk about heaven. I hear the word hell every day that I live. You men that work on jobs, you women that are out in the world, hear the word hell over and over and over again. Very seldom do you hear anybody say anything about heaven or the word heaven ever mentioned. It's always hell, and it is mentioned over and over again. Why is it that people talk so much about hell? I wondered about it myself. 
But I read the statement of a, uh, a great uh, psychologist, and he said one reason why people use the word hell so strongly and so often is deep down in their psychosis there is that realization, that nagging fear that they are going there, and they fear it, and unconsciously it is there, and they speak about it lots, because it is more with them subconsciously than they ever dare admit. And so I want to talk about it tonight. I want to address you sanely. I'd like to speak to you in a low-key way. I would look to you tonight straight into your faces, and I want to speak to you objectively. And I'd like to leave as much emotion out of it as possibly. And uh, I would like tonight to faithfully uh, uh, say that I am preaching to some people here tonight who will go to hell. And I hope to prove that by the word of the Lord, before I'm through. And I perhaps am preaching to someone here. If you and I could go aside alone and we could speak in a one-to-one -one basis, there is somebody sitting here tonight, I have, have no doubt, that would concede to me readily, I'm going to hell. I, uh, I'm going there. I feel that I am. I never will forget the first time that someone told me that. I've had more than one tell me that, but the first one was a teenage girl. Her name was Chloe-Ann, and as I tried to talk to her and reason to her, just as honestly and sincerely as uh, she knew how, she just simply told me, she said, I have made up my mind to go to hell. And I said, Chloe-Ann, you, do you have your right mind? And she said, I do. I have thought it over, and I believe that there is a hell. I believe that there's a heaven. I believe that Jesus Christ lives. I believe this is judgment. There are some things that I want to do, and I want to have my way, and I have made up my mind that I'm going to do those things, and uh, I have just uh, made up my mind that that's where I'm going. I'm going to hell. And she says, don't bother me anymore. And I suppose that she is. She's still living, but the life she is living tonight indicates the conclusion that she reached many years ago when she was just a young person. There's uh, just too many things tonight between some of you folks that sit here and the Lord that has come. In an atmosphere that is so conducive for some of you folks living for God, you haven't lived for God. In the situations which would seem that you would live all out for God, you haven't done that. And if you have failed to do that in such conducive uh, at atmosphere, in such an opportune time, there is uh, an absolute good chance that you never will, that I am preaching and addressing tonight some people here that are going to hell. If there were no professed sinners here, if everybody here says, I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I could still stand behind this desk and preach this sermon, your first night in hell. Somebody might say, you're going too far now. No, go tonight and read some of the things that are in the Bible. Read that there are tares that are sown along with the wheat and that they grow up together. And at the end, there's going to be a harvest and the tares are going to be separated from the wheat and the tares are going to be burned with unquenchable fire and the wheat is going to be gathered into his garner. Here again the words of Jesus Christ which said that the kingdom of heaven or the church is like a net that is cast into the sea and thrown out and it has all kind of fish in it. And then they are separated and the good fish uh, at the end of the world are kept and the bad. 
are cast away. Here again, the teachings of the Lord relative to the soil. How that three-fourths of the seed that was sown fell upon soil that was unproductive and did not produce at all. The plain insinuation of Jesus on this occasion is that three-fourths of the people who hear, who come in contact with the Word of God, will never be productive in their lives and will not receive it into their lives and will not do anything about it. Or here again that age-old parable of the ten virgins. Ten women who all looked alike, they dressed alike, they all had the same thought in mind, and that was that we're going to see the bridegroom. And all ten of them went out for the same purpose, to meet him. All of them had oil when they went out, and yet exactly one half of those that went out that night so bravely and so purposefully never did go to the marriage supper. These are the words of Jesus Christ. So when we think of the church laggards, of people who never do associate themselves emphatically with Jesus, and he does not become the Lord of their lives, who never attend prayer meetings, who do not pray in the altar, who have no care to come early enough to go back to the prayer room, who cannot stand to be fifteen minutes in his presence in prayer, pray tell me how it is, how is it that you could bear to spend eternity with Jesus? when fifteen minutes on your knees with him is unbearable. Yes, I preach tonight to people here that are going to hell. I preach to church people here that will go to hell. According to numerical average, which Jesus Christ himself taught us, he emphatically let us know that at least one half of all of those who started to find him would not find him at all. What does the scripture say? The time has come when Judgment, then judgment, then judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, scarcely be saved, scarcely be saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? And so tonight, out of a very honest heart, according to the plain equations of God's Word, since I am preaching tonight to people right here who will go to hell, I want to tell you and talk to you about your first night in hell, what it's going to be like, what you can expect when you get there. And I am preaching right out of God's Word tonight. Now, if you were going to a place, of course, one of the first things that you would consider is your means of transportation and how did you get there. Uh, what uh, conveyance would be used to transport you from one place to another. If you were taking an excursion and you were going to some distant land or some uh, beautiful uh, tourist uh, attraction, many times your transportation and your meals and lodging is all included in your plane fare. And they promise you that there will be uh, tours and that you will be given ground uh, uh, conveyance when you arrive at that place. And they call some old battered bus a limousine and, and so on. They call it limousine service, but nevertheless that is all integrated in the trip that you'll be taking to some place that you want to go to and that you have decided to go to. Since tonight I am preaching to people who are going to hell, somebody in this congregation who is going to hell, what means of conveyance are you going to, is going to be used? to bring you from the place that of life or of death 
and take you to that place that is called hell. What is the means of, uh, of conveyance? I have talked to people who have, uh, who have uh, had visions of being there. Uh, remember one man, he said, it was as if I walked across a field. I entered into an ever-deepening valley, and I found myself standing, he said, on the banks of hell. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I know what happened to me. There is two times in my life that I've seen hell. One time was when I was 13 years old. My mother was unsaved. I was allowed to dream a dream one night about my mother in hell. I saw her there. I saw her long hair streaming back in the fire. I saw her large brown hands lifted up to me, and I heard her pleading voice calling my name and asking for help. I can promise you that there was no more rest for me that night. My mother was brought to church that week, and she gave her heart to God on a Friday night, and on Sunday night she was on her deathbed. My mother came within 36 hours of hell, and God allowed me to see it. I know that there is a hell because I saw it that night, and I saw it being vindicated with my mother's death following up just a few hours later from the time that I, in my dream, observed her there. And then one morning, we were at breakfast table. I had two children at that time, and uh, my daughter was sitting immediately to my left. Terry was just in the high chair. He was down at my wife's left at the other end of the table. And we were eating. We were talking. And I don't know how the conversation came around, but it came to eternity. And Zetha asked me about hell, something about hell. And as we sat and talked and ate, I started to tell her something about eternity. And as I talked, suddenly I was not there anymore. My family was not there. I was standing on a ledge, and there was another cliff that rose sheer behind me. And at my feet there dropped off a, a steep precipice, and I was standing on the edge of hell. The fire was pouring up from some tremendous source underneath, and in that fire there was uh, just tremendous uh, black dots and, and such noise and, and screaming and such a flow and, and thunder of, of noise and voices I, I had never heard before. And I observed that the black dots that I saw falling down through the flames which were pouring up were people. They were pouring in from some place up above me, and pouring in as you would pour buckets of corn or peas into a tub or something, and they were falling into that place. And I observed them, and then I was back at the table. I, uh, I didn't have any heart for breakfast. As soon as possible, I left. I went to the prayer room. I spent a good time that day in the prayer room. Do you know your conveyance, how that you'll get there your first night in hell? Because I am talking tonight to somebody here who is going to hell. How will you get there, your conveyance? Well, the Bible tells me that, uh, uh, let's let the Bible talk. The Bible tells us about a man that went to hell. And Lazarus, the angels came and got him and took him up and away and bore him to heaven. And the Bible says that the other man lifted his eyes in hell, and he was there. 
I don't know exactly how he got there. Little Dean Earth crumbled out from beneath him and so on. But I have something from the Bible to bring to you tonight. You can read it in the 22nd chapter of Matthew. And if I do not speak from the Bible tonight, don't listen to me. But if I speak from the Bible, you better hear it. Because your eternal destiny depends upon it. And so in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, Jesus tells us that the Master finally at the end of the world comes. And he finds a man at the wedding feast that does not have a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how camest thou in hither without a wedding garment? And the Bible tells us that the man was speechless. The verdict that came to this man was, Find this man, hand and foot, and cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. As if a strong angel took him, and helpless he brought him, and flung him from one place, and flew and cascaded him into another place. He flung him from one place into another. When I was nine years old, I did not know how to swim. I went swimming with my brother-in-law and with his brothers. Old Dick Bend in the creek. I was anxious to get into the water, but I could not swim. So there was a boy, a fellow there by the name, last name was uh, Jesse, uh, his name was Jesse Latham. And he said, uh, buddy, he said, you can't swim. And I said, no, I can't swim. He said, this is a good time to learn how. And uh, we had our clothes off at that time. And this great strong fellow picked me up and went over his head and brought me to the bank of that uh, uh, creek and threw me through the air from a, a place of about 15 feet up. To this day, I have not forgotten the horror of being helplessly held in strong fingers and, and mighty arms and lifted bodily over the head of a man and flung through the air out into an element that I could not cope with nor could I handle. And I was flung into that place. I have not forgotten it unto this day. The Bible says, cast him out. Matthew, the 25th chapter and the 30th verse. Here is the man with the one talent. He said, I knew that you were a uh, austere man, that you gathered where you had not strawed. And so I was afraid. I took your talent and I hid your talent. Now then you have here what is thine own. The verdict came slamming back at this man and said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I gathered where I had not strawed. Why did not you take my money and put it to usury so that I could have my own with usury when I came? Find that servant, the verdict was, and cast him into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Thrown violently away, a cast bodily out, as Saul reached and got his javelin and threw it at David in an attempt to nail him to the wall. So the figurative language in the New Testament is of God dealing with those and transporting them violently away from his presence. And then Second Peter, the second chapter, and the first uh, uh, verse that says that God spared not the angels that sinned, but he cast them out. And here is the story of the angels, the same terminology. How far did he cast them? And uh, all about it we do not know. But we have the emphatic word of God, and we must abide upon the word of God. 
And I suppose that's the reason why that Jesus said, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner that repented than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. Why are the angels of heaven so exuberant when a sinner comes and repents to God? Because, my friend, those celestial beings have done the world knows what kind of a place it was that their fellow angels went to. They were there that day when the red white hand of God's eternal justice smote down their fellow brethren and cast them out of heaven and they fell from headlong from the heights of the sky like flaming faggots. They saw it and they observed where the fires were laid. They observed the ancient pits of Tophet and they saw it all. And Jesus said, when an angel sees a sinner come, he knows the place that he has escaped from. And there is more joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents than over ninety-nine that need no repentance. I don't know how long it takes to get them from one place to another when a person is cast into hell. I know that a person will be powerless in the grasp of that circumstance. I know that they will. Revelations chapter 19, listen to this. The Bible said, And the false prophet and the beast were found, and that they were cast into the lake of fire. In Genesis, there is a record of Enoch going to heaven with his clothes on, his shoes upon his feet. In uh, Judges is a record of Elijah going to heaven with all of his clothes on, except his mantle, and he cast it back into the hands of Elijah. There is also the record of Jesus Christ with his clothes upon his body and his shoes upon his feet as he lifted himself into heaven, and he was gone. There are three different accounts of people leaving this earth and going to heaven with their shoes and their clothes upon them and entering into another realm of life. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, there is the account of the of two people that are going to go straight to hell from the dirt of this earth, that will go to hell with the boots upon their feet and the coats upon their body. The Bible said that they would be cast alive into the lake that burned with fire and with brimstone. As sure as I stand before you tonight, there is a place that is called hell. My brother-in-law was a wicked man, a very wicked man. They lived close to the little old school that I attended. The day that uh, Mr. Vines died, the windows of our room were open toward the little house that they lived in. He had been sick a long time. He was nothing but skin and bones, and they had to just lift him up and try to get some broth down him and so on. But the day that Mr. Vines died, he, he flung himself out of that bed. He had not been able to turn over. We heard him screaming, and the sound of it came through the open windows, and it was the springtime, and just to cut to school. He staggered back across the room, beating the air and calling to my sister. And he said, Oh, Zula, 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 what a fire, what a fire, what a fire, what a fire. The dear man of God that graced this pulpit for three weeks and preached to us, Brother George Glass, Sr., his dad was unsaved. His dad died. They pronounced him dead, pulled the sheet over his face, and the doctor left the room, and uh, the nurse left the family alone together. 
this God-fearing family knelt down on the floor about the bed and prayed for this man who was lost, and God raised him from the dead. The first place that Mr. Glass went to when he got out of the hospital was to the church, and he was gloriously saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Some of his unbelieving kindred mocked him later and told him, said, that was not true, you didn't die. And he turned vehemently upon them and he said, don't tell me I didn't die, I was there. My feet were already in the fire and I was looking in the face of hell when something pulled me back. I have the word of a man who was there and who came back to this world again. And so it was, in hell there is sorrow. And in hell there is horror. Jesus said it would be better for a millstone to be hung about somebody's neck and for them to be cast into the midst of the sea than to cause one of these little ones uh, uh, to stumble. It would be a very sad thing to be cast into something. The Bible tells us, do not fear him. But after he hath destroyed your body, hath done all that he can do. But rather I say unto you, Fear him that after he hath destroyed your body, hath power to cast the both body and soul into hell. All over again and again the same terminology is used. Cast into hell. Thrown into hell. You people tonight that are going to hell. And I'm preaching tonight to somebody here who will go to hell. I want to tell you that your trip there is going to be turbulent. It's going to be tumbling. It's going to be violent. It is not going to be pleasant. It's going to be a horrible thing. I am quoting the scripture to you. This is not my opinion. I have quoted seven different verses of scripture to you when the Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I have quoted seven to you out of the word of God. Since tonight, I am preaching to people here who are going to hell. I want to talk to you about your accommodations, your first night in hell. When you get there, what you can expect and uh, what it will be like and what your accommodations will be. I remember in the year of 1956, Stanley Ross was just a young man and Stan Gay used to come and spend summers with us and just hold out like our boys. And uh, I needed to go up into the hills of Tennessee and conduct a youth camp. In fact, it was their first one, and I was to organize it and get it going. I did not leave till Monday morning. Something happened, and I did not get off as soon as I intended to. And so the sun was already up when Stan and I backed out of the driveway. He was just a young boy, and I had to do all the driving. It was a long trip up into Tennessee. And uh, I must confess to you, in those days, uh, I liked speed. I just liked to go wide open on everything, including cars and, and uh, time and, and then all of it. And that day I had a good excuse. I had a long way to go. I will never in my life forget that day because I was driving against a deadline, and I had to be there. Time to shoving that thing, pushing it until it hit a hundred, and holding it on a hundred to the last split second, right to back off. Shoving it to a hundred again, 
and all day long, and then as the sun slanted over, only stopping till we get gas and so I am ashamed to take that. I, that's not right. That's wrong. And uh, But I'm confessing to you. I'm not bragging. I'm confessing. And so, as the sun slanted over, and uh, it got late, just stopping long enough to put gas in there, back in the cars, out of the driveway, roaring down, and fatigue set in, and stand to rub my neck, rub my shoulders, on and on, the smell of a hot motor, hoping the thing holds together, on and on, and then I found myself thinking, I can just get there in time to take a hot shower. If I can get there in time to lay flat out across a bed, even for 15 minutes if I could lay flat out across a bed, if the room where they give us has a fan in it, if it is air conditioned, where it is cool, and if I can just untie just for 15 minutes, I look forward to that time. I hope for it. But you know, when a court, motel, or something like that is advertised, you can tell what it's got but what it doesn't say sometimes. If it doesn't say that it has a shower, if it doesn't say it's air-conditioned, it doesn't say it's got king-size beds, you can pretty well mark down sometimes that it doesn't have that. And so, friend, there's nothing in the Bible about any conference in hell. Nothing said there. I've got to believe that it's uncomfortable. I might be preaching the night to somebody deep down there's resistance. You might say, don't tell me about this fire and all like that. Leave the fire out. Leave anything out you want to. You're going to find it a very, very uncomfortable place, your first night in hell. Yes, you are. You spent the whole day in the judgment. The Bible speaks of the judgment as a day that people live in. And it's a long day. It is a day that's stretched. It's a day long enough to judge everybody that has ever lived in the past, that's living now, and will be born before the curtain of time rings down. There's nothing in the Bible about any seats in the judgment. But over again three times in the Bible, it speaks about standing in the judgment. And so you stand there, and you've heard such a plea, and you've heard such tearful goodbye. And the, the emotion of that time, the drag of it is something that has been a horrible thing for you to observe and to live through. And finally, the uh, tearful goodbyes. And you said goodbye to some of the, the people that you've loved. And that's all of it. And, and you, you're on your way. A friend, your first night in hell, you're going to be lonely. You're going to, you'll possibly get in hell late that night. Uh, there will be no place to stop on the way down for a hamburger or a the, something to drink, nothing like that. And when you get there, friend, you will be filled with a thousand memories, and you'll think of the Sunday school classes, and you'll think of the friends you knew, and you'll think of your home at that Bible on the coffee table. You'll think of the front door. You'll think of the prayers that you've heard people pray. And these things will come back to you, and you'll be thirsty, and there will be no place to drink. For Japanese that's been in hell at least 2,000 years, uh, when he saw Jesus and Jesus saw him, up to that point in time he had found no waters that broke out of the rocks of dark damnation. He knew that if there's any water in hell, it had to be brought in from the outside. Please, he said, just as much as would hang upon the finger of a man. 
If you would bring it in here to me, I would be very pleased. Bring it to me. And so it was. He, he had none. I looked up on a mountain at Mr. Rickley's uh, mansion outside of Phoenix. This uh, mansion has 60 bathrooms in it. It's a fabulous thing. It has uh, all kind of conveniences. And then there was Mr. Rockefeller's home also. It was mounted and it was mobile. It uh, turned so that his bedroom always faced the sun. It was geared to the sun. As the sun moved, his, his house moved, the whole house. And it moved so slightly so that in his bedroom always he could have sunshine. And that was expensive and that was convenient. I was in the, a great home of a sea captain. He wished to depict the storms that he had lived through. And he pointed out those storms to me. And he said, this particular storm here, and it covered the entire wall of his living room. He told me how many days that storm lasted and all about it. And I looked at that storm. On the ceiling of his bathroom, there was beautiful pictures. He had some of the most accomplished artists to come in and turn his whole house into a sea and through surging waters so that he always felt at home. But my friend, when you get to hell, there will not be any pretty pictures, and there are no windows in hell. There is uh, no beauty in hell. And when you go to hell, and I ask to somebody here going to hell, according to what Jesus taught, I read it to you from the Bible, his equation of people who ought to escape hell that did not escape it. Why? Because the greatest criteria of God, my friend, is honesty. God cannot deal with anybody except it be upon a basis of honesty. After a person has been in the church a good while, they tend to become dishonest and hypocritical and soft on such and such, such things and not come right down the line like they ought to. So God cannot fellowship that and He cannot let it by. I am preaching the Bible to you tonight. I am not talking about how to win friends or influence people. I am preaching for somebody tonight that needs God. Yes, I am. The good Word of God. Yes, I am. When you go to hell, I don't know just exactly how that you'll get there. I, I, it may be that you might be dropped in from the center of hell, just thrown in, cast in, and you fall down into the middle of uh, that seething, boiling vortex of fiery damnation. This may be the place that you are cast into hell. I don't know. I remember one time being on a car that went over the whirlpool below the rapids of the Niagara River. We were 150 feet up in that car. And down beneath us was a swirl of, of, of terrible water. And the man in the car said, if anyone fell into that, there would be absolutely no hope. It is 250 feet deep, that water is, at this point, And there is no way of getting out or to even stay on the surface. I don't know whether the, the maw of hell, the surface of hell, looks something like that or not. And I don't know when you get to hell whether you'll be thrown into it right at the, the center or whether it will be from the banks of hell that you'll be cast in. And that it, but if you're cast in over the banks of hell, you'll have a chance your first night there as you fall down to observe the things on your way down. And you will fall because it's bottomless. You will go down fast 
faster than the descent of any elevator. And on your way down, you will see millions and millions of people climbing and clinging to the hot rocks, climbing their way up to the brimstone and through the smoke and through the fire. And you will hear them, and you will see that your first night in hell on your way down. I don't know exactly the spot that you will make your entrance, but it might be like that. And so I, I could not tell you. But out of court sometimes, the motel, it is advertised. And just across the driveway is a very modern restaurant where you can relax with your friends in a bar and where that, um, you can relax and, and, and rest. But there's not a word said in the Bible about a bed in hell. There's nothing said in the Bible about a bar in hell. There's nothing said in the Bible about a water fountain in hell. There's nothing said in the Bible about a, a dining suit in hell. It's not there, friend. There'll be no bed waiting for you your first night in hell. You'll be worried. You'll be tired. You'll be lonely. But there'll be no water for you to drink. And there'll be no place for you to put your weary head your first night in hell. And when you get there, and I am preaching tonight to somebody here tonight that will go to hell from this congregation according to what Jesus said. When you get there, you're going to be surprised. Some of you will be surprised that you yourself went. That I am here. Hell, I never intended to go to hell. I thought that that was just something that some fanatic preacher talked about. And that it really didn't have any relevance and, and so on. I'm surprised. Me, here I am. I'm in hell. Well, that won't be the end of your surprise. Some of you folks, when you get to hell, will be surprised at the people that you see there. Some of you will be surprised because of the fact that you might meet your mother there. You thought that she was the best and the greatest, and you'll be so amazed to see your mother in hell. You might be surprised to see your Sunday school teacher in hell. You might be amazed to see somebody else in hell. Because all of us, friend, if we're not honest, and we don't put it all up on the table, and we cheat on God, it'll catch us in the day. I want you to tell Preacher Pew that I'll meet him in hell. And uh, so this person said that's what she said. And she wanted me to bring that to you and tell you that. And then this person laughed because she thought it was preposterous. That she didn't think that I was going to go to hell. But I didn't laugh because I might meet her in hell. I may see her there. There are better preachers than I will ever be in hell tonight. There are better pastors than I will ever be that are already in hell tonight. Your office, your name, or what else with does not matter. It's how you stand between God tonight and how honest you are with the things in your life and how much you are willing and ready to face it out and put it in the hands of God. I want to say further tonight that your first night in hell, you'll be afraid. It might be a pleasant time because you're going to meet the, uh, the men and the robbers of gangland. You're going to meet the scum and the debris of society. You're going to meet men that can take a Tommy gun and write their name on the side of a wall with it. You're going to meet fellows that are a skilled artists with using the knife that know how to kill a man with him standing on his feet without ever knocking him down. You're going to meet men like the one that was apprehended in Oklahoma not long ago 
for killing three girls. Or ask the man in Houston who paid $200 a piece for nine-year-old boys and who tortured them and finally had a great big old piece of board that he uh, nailed them to, crucified them, spread eagle, and cut them up and tortured them and finally killed them. How many of them was it? Seventeen, twenty-seven of them? You'll meet men like that in hell. If I were a woman, I would not want to go to hell. You're going to meet the rapists of the world. You're going to meet the queer ones from the Middle East. You're going to meet the terrible ones from the Far East. You're going to meet them there. They're going to be herded together into one promiscuous, Christless rock. Regardless of sexes or whatnot, they'll be there. You'll not see a policeman in hell. You will come into a prison house of the damned where there is no law and where there is no order and where there is no protection. You will be there thrown and let loose in that particular place, a land of shame, a land of no law, and a land of no God. You'll be afraid. I'm afraid that you won't enjoy your first night in hell. I am preaching tonight. Somebody here, you're going to remember what I'm telling you tonight. And you're going to say, I remember the preacher. I remember the sweat on his face. I remember his voice getting hoarse. I remember him gasping for breath. I remember him preaching about my first night. And here I am. And here I am in hell. Well, that's the way it'll be. I read the account of a girl that was selfish. All of her life, she wanted to go to Paris, France. Her parents were not really able to send her. But finally, for her graduation present, they sent her. And they got the money together and got the clothes. And so she got into Paris late. She was by herself and apprehensive. So she went to her room. She put her stuff away, and she planned the next day a great time. She was going to go on to bed. Tomorrow will be a great day. She turned the lights out in her room. She was up about ten floors above the street level. She opened the window, and she looked down from the quaint streets of a foreign city. She heard the tickle of laughter as it floated up to her, and she saw the lights of Paris, France. Here was a dream realized. She was now in Paris, but there was something about it. She thought about home, and she thought about her people, her mother and dad, and what it cost them to send her there. And she was lonely. She was not happy. She wished that she was not there. And that's the way that you're going to feel your first night in hell. You're going to wish that you were not there. But simmering between you and the bliss of heaven is going to be the billowing smoke of 10,000 times, 10,000 burning fires. And you sink into hell, you're going to remember endlessly the sermons that you heard preached. You're going to remember the tears that were shed for you. You're going to remember the kind words that was uh, delivered to you. You're going to think of the souls that you could have delivered if you had lived for God. Here on this earth, you can lose yourself. You can get things off of your mind. You can go to a movie. You can read a book. You can go to a baseball game. You can go out dancing. You can do a lot of things. You can drink. And so on. Or if things get too bad, the doctor can give you something and knock you out. And you can have the blessful uh, rest that comes to you. 
And there is always funny a gun to blow your brains out with, a roof to hang yourself with, a poison to drink, something to get out of where you are. But my friend, in hell there is no poison, there is no guns, there is no knife, there is no rock. There is nothing, there is no death, there is no shows, there is no baseball games. There is nothing there, no doctor, no rest. You will not enjoy yourself your first night there. And it is as if a person went to the station time and time again. And we're told over and over, there are no trains out, and there will be no trains out. This is it. You'll never go home. You'll never get out. This is all of it. And so you look up, and uh, you, you see heaven. You see the tree of life. You see the river of life. You see the streets of gold. You see angels coming and going on errands of mercy. You see that beautiful city and the loved ones of God there. And you will see people that you know in heaven. God is dead. He saw Abraham there and he recognized him. People in hell know what goes on on this earth. They know what goes on in heaven. God is dead. He knew he had five brothers. He knew that they were living in his dad's house. He knew that they were yet unsaved. He looked and he saw heaven and he saw what was going on there. You will recognize their faces. You will know them. And you will remember that you had the same opportunity that you stood and sung beside them and that you went to church in company with them. But between you and heaven is the rising smoke of 10,000 times 10,000 burning fires. And there you are, your first night in hell. Perhaps you sink back into the pit and a thousand times of ten thousand years go by. Like leaden feet, they beat their way across your dying soul. And time without end, it comes to a halt and it doesn't even drag no more. And you lift, lift your eyes from that lake that burns with fire and with brimstone. And you look at the place that you're in, at the walls of hell. Don't tell me that I'm not preaching something that's not true. The Bible spoke of the walls, of the gates of the pit, of the bolts, and of the bars that was on that place. I am not out of the Bible tonight. I'm in the book. I am reaching for you. And the bar from the gates of hell, ever bolt, ever die, will reel at your weeping soul with its damning message forever and forever. Forever and forever. You listen, what is that girlish noise and that shrieking noise that you hear about you? What is it? It's the demons of the pit. They've got one song. It's got one word. It's got one note. It has one beat. It's on one cadence. And that, that, that song is simply forever and forever. Forever and forever. Forever and forever. And so you see with glazed eyes, the folks around you, rising and seeking. And from the vast corners of that prison house of hell, there comes the moaning, groaning, heart-rending refrain of souls in suffering. They too have learned that song. And now they weep it instead of sing it. And that song is singing forever and forever. 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 For
forever. Where the worm dieth not, where the fire is not quenched. And I preach tonight to people who are going there. According to what Jesus said. According to what Jesus said. Perhaps you know better than Jesus. But I don't. I'm just a preacher. And all I can do is say what the Bible says. That's it. So when the cold coming hand of your enemy death has silenced your heart and suspended your breath, when friends bowed in grief your dead body surround, oh, where, careless one, will your poor soul be found? Deep down in hell, where all Christless ones go, immersed in despair and surrounded with woe, your soul will be wailing and joining its cry for the moans of the lost as they bitterly sigh. In hell, where the flames will forever be fierce, in hell, where the flames of the worm ever pierce, in hell, where the torments have never an end, in hell, where the wicked in anguish descend, and carried along on that fiery wave with no eye to take pity and no one to save. Fierce friends will rend as you go wailing by, and they'll laugh at your anguish and they'll mock your sad cry. Forever and ever deep down in the fire, your woes will increase and your bones will mount higher, but your cries will not rise in the caverns of hell that echo around where the dark demons dwell. Salvation was free, but you come to your sin, and God would have saved you had you yielded to Him. The Spirit all served, but you said to Him, Go! Now you're in hell. It's its anguish and woe. In hell, where the flames will forever be fierce. In hell, where the flames of the worm ever pierce. In hell, where the torments have never an end. Hell, hang wicked in anguish to sin. Preach the Bible to you. And I have preached tonight to somebody who will go to hell. And this is the way it would be your first night in hell. Now, somebody here tonight could change that if you want to. I hope that you do. I get no pleasure out of preaching this. I have never intended to preach this again. This is my first time to preach on hell in the four years that I've been here. But America rots to the ground tonight because the whole Bible is not being preached from our pulpits, and I owe this message to you. And there's somebody here tonight that needs to pray. Shall we stay ahead? Praise God.